Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Janae Sakin is a former English professor who has turned photojournalist, traveling the world, particularly in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. There, she documents the lives of women and children. She also presents the Library in School series, Journeys to the Ends of the Earth. Janae has just published her first novel, a suspenseful women's fiction, entitled Behind the Lens. It features Annie Hawkins Green, a war photographer armed only with a camera. Janae lives with her husband and three cats in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where she's working on, and I'm very grateful for this, her sequel to Behind the Lens. In her spare time, she still enjoys adventure, travel. I wanna welcome Janae to the microphone today and ask right away, why photography? Because you have this amazing ability, whether it's capturing humans, or other animals to get an amazing degree of intimacy. So let's jump right in with how you get to that love of photography and how I first found about your work. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, well, I started out as a college English professor and decided that I really needed to tap into my creative side. And uh, so I started working with photography, mainly because I had so many uh, photography students in my English courses. I was teaching at Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York, home of Eastman Kodak. And the uh, Eastman College of Photography is one of the seven colleges at RIT. Um, and I happened to teach at a time when photo students had a break in their technical courses and had to take their required humanity courses. So they took my course at that time. And I just became enthralled with the work that my students were doing. And um, fast forward, I met my husband. We went on a trip to the Galapagos. You take a camera. And I took a little um, KISS point and shoot camera. And um, when I came back from that trip, my sister-in-law, who is a phenomenal fine art photographer, looked at the work and said, you need to be working as a photographer. So um, some of my students mentored me and eventually, to make a long story short, I decided that my, the second half of my life needed to be something different. Quite literally, I had gone on a trip to Honduras. I had much better camera gear at this point. And I was with my fixer. We were on the Mosquito um, Coast on a narrow gauge railroad train. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a woman heaving a stick over her head and then pounding it down. And I was there to photograph women at work. And I said to my fixer, what is she doing? And he said, I don't know. Do you want to go check it out? So we literally jumped off the train. They slowed it just enough. We jumped off the train into this jungle. And I looked at the departing train and I said, when's the next train? 
And he said, I think it's next week, Tuesday. Um, so what do you do? We went into the jungle. We photographed this woman. Um, she was pounding cassava root into a paste. Um, her sister would then make them into these giant tortillas and they would trek them out of the jungle once a week, ship them up to Miami where um, they would sell them. And suddenly I'm in their outdoor kitchen and um, the entire village shows up and I hear them chanting outside, National Geographic, National Geographic. So um, I went home and uh, had some fabulous images, which um, were in several shows. And I just said, let's jump off this train of academia. Much as I defined myself as an academic, as an intellectual, as a college professor, I said, the second half of my life is going to be creative. And so I jumped off the train of academia and um, I started a 20 year journey as a photojournalist and um, the experiences I had along the way led me to uh, start writing novels. That's so wonderful. I love the idea, and I talk about this a lot on my show and um, in other interviews that I do, that we reinvent ourselves constantly. And we have that opportunity when we see that door to open or that train to jump off of, we don't know what we're jumping off into, but what an adventure. So the photography is profound. How do you get that intimacy, Janae? Because it's, we have an expression in my family because we're a big photographic family that the, the camera looks both ways, right? We look out, but it also changes us. The camera looks both ways. How do you get that intimacy in your photographs? Patience, patience, patience. Um, and I have been known to, um, in a photo shoot, get take tens if not hundreds of images to try to capture the right one one of the things that i do which my main character annie does in my novel she's also a photojournalist is i keep shooting and um then i lower my camera slightly and the subject relaxes you just can see their face facial muscles relax their whole body language changes, and that's the shot. And I can, just like Annie does, she feels a tingling in her fingers. I get that exact same feeling, and I know immediately that is the shot. Sometimes I am literally at a shoot to photograph somebody else. I had ridden horseback up into the mountains above Copan in Honduras, and I was there to photograph a Maya woman who was probably all of uh, maybe 30, had seven children and looked about 50. And I was photographing her. I was getting nothing, nothing that I wanted. And I turned around and I happened to see out of the corner of my eye, her one of her daughters um, holding an armful of um, corn dolls that she had made. And I noticed that her fingers were dyed, permanently discolored from the writ dye that she used to dye the corn husks. And I snapped the picture 
it was a one-off when, and my fingers tingled, but um, at that point in life, I was shooting film. So I really didn't know. I get home thousands of miles away, develop the picture and gasped. And it became, it has become one of my signature images. Um, it's just, it's a stunning shot and totally relaxed on her part. Um, so with, you know, it's patience. It's taking multiple shots. It's knowing when they've about had it, they need a break, they need to relax, letting them think that is what's gonna happen and taking the shot. So it's that patience, it's also that tenacity that it's not you go in, you take a couple of shots and you're done. It's the thousands and thousands of pictures. But it's also, you know, you've said twice now, it's a great life lesson, I think, for us. It's that looking out of the corner of your eye. It's looking for the unexpected as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's not looking straightforward. It's not looking at what you expect to be there. It's being open to anything that could be around you. And it's often just the littlest detail far away. And um, it's also being in the right place at the right time, as well as being open to things. And I once took a, a master class from one of my favorite photographers, who is a nature and wildlife photographer, Franz Lanting. He and I were um, part of an expedition um, that was recreating Ernest Shackleton's cruise to Antarctica. And he was teaching a masterclass as part of this. And um, I, we each, each student had to bring and show some images and mine were all of, of women. And he said, how long did it take you to capture this image of this Mayan woman weaving or setting up her loom? And I said, I was there for four hours. And the, the class, everybody else gasped. And he said, lesson as a photographer, spend the time. He said, by the time you captured this picture, this woman trusted you. And you know, I have been known to go in. I was um, on a, a photo shoot on the Navajo reservation. And I sat for hours with each subject and heard their story before I even tried to take an image. So that little Mayan girl with the, the stained fingers, I knew her complete story before I caught her out of the corner of my eye. I knew that in Honduras, education is free, but because the Honduran government does not want to educate um, indigenous people, they require school children to have a new uniform each year and new books each year. And they all have to be purchased each year by the parents. So they can't get handed down from one child to the other. So I knew that there was one son in this family of seven children. He was the one designated to go to school and his sisters made corn dolls to afford to buy his school uniforms and books. So while he was in school, she was in the um, town of Copan at the tourist market selling these corn dolls. So in the image, I have her literally standing in the shadows. Well, she was standing in the shadows. And so metaphorically, as well as literally. Well, and I love that you continue to teach. So you didn't really leave academia behind. Your work continues 
to teach. And um, I love that about um, your photographs, the way your website is laid out, and as well as your work with your new novel. So let's talk about Annie. I know I get asked this all the time. You get asked this all the time. Is Annie you? Annie has red hair. Um, Annie's a photojournalist. She's a war photographer. I'm a photojournalist, but she also tells stories with her pictures. When she knows she has the shot, her fingers tingle just like mine do. However, she has a teenage daughter. I have no children. Um, and Annie is not me. But I think as every author does, something of me, details of my life are infused into um, my fiction. So part of her is taken from my life, but most of her is not. And I think the photojournalism that you've done and the way you've traveled and the places you've traveled and the sensitivity that you've just shared with us here already in this interview is the thing that really sets Annie up for success um, in this book. So tell our listeners a little bit about Annie. It certainly has a dramatic, your book has a dramatic opening and it's a very personal story. So tell our listeners. It is a personal story and I'm really glad that you have honed in on that. Um, Annie Hawkins Green is a seasoned war photographer who in 2005 is embedded with the coalition forces in Afghanistan. She barely survives a Taliban ambush that leaves her military escort dead and the feisty little Afghan girl whom she was photographing dying in her arms. And she feels enormous guilt over these deaths, feels that she may in some way have caused these deaths. And so she seeks some redemption. Nine years later, she goes back to Afghanistan, not as a photojournalist, but to um, teach a photography workshop at the girls' high school that her best friend, an expat Afghan named Daria Faludi, directs. And uh, the story from then on takes place in the Panjshir Valley, which was a relatively peaceful and stable part of Afghanistan, if you can believe there was a, a stable and peaceful part of Afghanistan. Um, but then the Taliban started coming back and she develops PTSD um, triggered by things that remind her of her last time in country. And that's what the book is about. Um, but I think at its core, there are some love stories. Yes. Um, Annie has a best friend, Daria Faludi, and we don't find out until the end that Annie has really helped her by financing the building of this school for girls. Um, and she is passionate about girls getting an education, girls being able to read and write, which is anathema to the Taliban. And like any really close friends, these two um, seemingly hold nothing back from each other. Um, we subsequently find out that they both have kept monumental secrets from each other. 
and uh, but they love each other. There is another um, love story between Annie and the US Navy SEAL who rescued her from that ambush years earlier. And it's a real push-pull because he rescued her, but then he put her through a grueling interrogation because she was the only survivor in a Taliban village. And the military was thinking she must have been um, colluding with the Taliban. Colluding with them. In some way. One of the things that intrigued me in my research for this, because you are so well-traveled, you've never been to Afghanistan. No. So why Afghanistan? Um, to make a very long story short, um, I originally wrote this book set in Mexico as part of the Maquiladoras, and it didn't work. I set the book aside, came back to it in 2015, and decided that I wanted to make Annie a, um, a photojournalist, a war photographer. I needed a war. I needed the U.S. military presence. I needed, I wanted coalition forces. And meanwhile, I had read numerous novels set in Afghanistan. I had um, read numerous works of nonfiction in Afghanistan. I had also um, discovered Landes, which is a um, an oral poetry tradition um, that originated hundreds of years ago among Pashtun women who were not allowed to read or write. And so they created these oral um, poems. And everything just came together in Afghanistan. I, um, from all of my research, I found Afghan people to be in incredibly um, hospitable, warm, and to have an inc just a very rich culture and literary tradition. And your timing for your novel could not be better or, or worse, depending on uh, the timing that it came out at this point in history, I think makes it ever so much more poignant, especially since the young girl that you've already alluded to, we're not doing a spoiler in the very beginning of Behind the Lens, the young Afghan girl is killed because she's writing. She's trying to give Annie a message. So talk to me about the impact you think your work will have on people's perceptions of Afghanistan. And I know you're also involved in several charities. I very, much worry about how people in the United States blame certain groups of people for things that happen. And I wanted people to see um, the Afghan people as well as Muslims um, as people who live and breathe and love and hurt just as the rest of us do. And I want to tear down, and I try to do the same thing with my photographs, this sense of the other. Um, I want people to have a social conscience that we're all in this life together. That said, I do come down hard on the Taliban, and my cultural insensitivity readers were adamant 
that what the Taliban are doing, and this will guarantee I never get to Afghanistan, um, is a perversion of Islam. Uh, so I am hoping that behind the lens, and I just signed a contract for book two on Saturday. Double Congratulations. Thank you. Um, double exposure in which Annie goes back to Afghanistan. I'm hoping in some small way um, they make Afghanistan um, real and authentic um, for people who don't know much about it. Oh, I'm sure you will accomplish that. I cannot ever believe how quickly our time goes together, but I'd like to ask you two, two other questions. One serious, the other one a little more off target. I was very struck, as I think I said, about the um, work that you did with the genetically oldest people on the planet, these, the San people. I have a weird nerdy DNA thing myself. So you've been in cultures that are ancient, ancient cultures and all the entire spectrum. Uh, not a fair question, perhaps. What's the benefit of progress? Well, that is such a complicated question and a huge answer um, because you can approach it from so many different directions. Um, certainly progress helps um, us communicate much more easily if we give each other the chance to communicate accurately. Um, people live much longer. Um, medical progress is phenomenal. Still not an exact science, but um, people are now having much more, um, much longer life expectancy. Although I must say that when I was in Botswana living with the San, um, the average age was in the 40s. When I was in Madagascar, same thing. And the bottom line is, if people are living in poverty, they don't have the same access to medical care. They don't have the same access to food. And that's regardless of exactly progress and where we are. And I know that was a very complicated uh, question, but as I read your work and research for today, I was so struck by the panorama, if you will, of where we are as human beings. As we close today, tell me something quirky about yourself, something that most people might not know. Well, I can tell you something. Um, I love adventure travel and not a surprise there. However, I am terrified of flying. And so I do it. I get on that plane and um, the picture of me on Facebook and, and that's popping up all over the place of me with a pilot's helmet on, um, pilot's hat on. Um, the pilot was at the door of the 777 as I was getting on for a flight from Atlanta to Johannesburg in South Africa. It's a 15 hour flight. And he said, hi, welcome aboard, blah, blah, blah. And something in my eyes and probably as I was patting the um, fuselage, which is one of my little rituals that I always do. Um, he said, you're not scared of flying, are you? And I said, yeah, I am. He said, come on into the cockpit. 
And so he brought me into the cockpit of this 777. It's teeny tiny. And there were three crews of pilots there because they change off during a long flight. And he sat me in his seat, gave me the 10 minute tour and they wanted to take pictures of me. So they put the pilot's hat on me, but, um, and it, it was just, it was a real kindness. And they, of course, were all saying, oh, is this your first flight? And I'm like, no, I fly about 100,000 miles a year, which they all thought was hysterical. But, you know, I have kayaked the North Pacific, the South Atlantic. I have canoed the Zambezi River through Hippo Alley and uh, Crocodile Corridor. I have hot air ballooned. Um, none of those bother me. <laughs> it's It's flying in an airplane that is a challenge for me. Well, thank you for that quirkiness. Thank you for being such a great storyteller. And thanks for being with me here today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Take care, Janae. You too. This has been recorded episode of The Storytellers. It's copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us today. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.